From the Hollywood Gallery of the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories at the Peterson. Welcome into another episode of Car Stories. My name is AJ. And I'm Chris. And today we are sitting with Transportation Design Department Chair for Art Center College of Design. I was so worried I was going to mess that up. Stuart Reed. Stuart, thank you so much for coming in. I enjoy being with you guys. Thanks. Uh, we got a, a lot of stuff to go over. We're, I'm uh, very excited to hear about you know how you got your start, but uh, we'll kick it off all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. What was your first automotive memory? Gosh, I think, you know, because I'm, I'm privileged to have a father, though he was a businessman, was a car guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I remember even as a kid, you know, 10 years old or so, uh, going down to Falvey Motors in Detroit and picking up his new Austin Healey and driving it back to northern Michigan. So as, as a kid, to, to be able to uh, smell the smell of a new Healey. And, and then occasionally he was Sports Car Club of America guy, you know, uh, to go out to the tracks. A lot of airport races in those days. And to see firsthand, you know, Porsche Spiders and Alfa Romeos and, and all those cars was just thrilling. Yeah, that will definitely imprint on a young mind, won't it? <laughs> yes. And about how old were you when this was going on? Well, uh, eight, nine, ten years old is when it was really getting exciting. And I, but I have to say, I mean, even as a five-year-old, I was super car conscious. You know, I was paying attention and, and uh, you know, always uh, being able to identify cars. My mom and dad were always amazed that I could, even at night, see a car coming down the street. And I, with the lights on, I knew what it was. So. It is where you do, I, I think you sort of... Especially once you're driving, you memorize headlights in your rearview mirror, and especially with police cars. I mean, you oh, you sure. can see a Crown Victoria from ten miles behind you when its lights are on. <laughs> yes, yeah, like but, but those of us that uh, those people that aren't car geeks like us, um, you know, those are the only ones they identify. The rest of us, we look at it. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. That's a BMW. That's a you know Ford or whatever. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a sickness, I think. It is, it is. But <laughs> but it does show you know, a certain kind of a, not only a passion for it, but just this uh, understanding that cars have personalities. And, and I'm always one that takes, even to, to this day, takes snapshots of a particular car and sort of the profile of person in it. Because it's interesting to me. Cars are very much kind of social statements, personal statements. Yeah, yeah. your outermost <laughs> layer of clothing is your automobile. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, you wonder if you could take 10 pictures of people 10 pictures of their cars and then see go to someone who doesn't know them see if they can combine who owns what it's kind of like your your dog and you look yeah your dog people look like their dogs do you guys do this if you ever go to the car wash and you're sitting there waiting for your car to be done you try to size up who's sitting around you and then looking out and see okay who's driving what who goes and then see if you can get it right of course i do and i'm usually right yeah no you can could totally tell yeah. who's driving what uh, car uh just kind of you know just off who they are how they carry themselves what they're wearing yep so that one's definitely driving the prius uh. yeah those are those are uh you know the matte black bentley you can tell uh pretty easily who's driving those so so so, so speaking of cars uh what what did you end up having for your first car uh my first car actually was a was a shortened chassis 32 ford um Growing up in Traverse City, uh, my my dad had an insurance agency. Not Haggerty, knew Frank Haggerty, by the way, from Traverse City. Small world, yeah, small world. But um, but we had a small um, cherry orchard too, so I got to play on the tractors and things. So I had a little thirty-two Ford that was converted by the Worthington Company as a golf course 
tractor. Huh. Had duels on the rear, and I just had more fun with that thing. You know, on the so what was the body <clears throat> style? Was well, it, it was a truck it was, or a car. It was basically a thirty-two Ford front, back to the firewall, and nothing behind there except you know just kind of apparatus for attaching, kind of ah, like a tractor. Gotcha, so gotcha. It was, I just played off road with that. But my first car that was um, a street car was actually a fifty-three MGTD. Oh, cool! It's <clears> a good start. Very good start. And that yeah. had to have been a pretty rare car in Michigan. Yeah, it's certainly in northern Michigan, Traverse City, um, you kind of knew the car guys. You could count them on two hands, you know, so yeah. there were a few people around. But. And in the middle of winter, a car like that might be a yeah. little but difficult. I drove, I, drove it in, <laughs> I drove it in the winter without snow tires, though. So. Wow. <laughs> so you learned drifting at an early age. Totally, yeah, and just, just how to have that finesse on slippery surface, you know. <laughs> in fact, um, I met my wife, Nancy, um, in, in high school, and I remember our first date was in the TD, and it was in winter. And we took it out and uh, tiptoed across a little park out onto the frozen end of Grand Traverse Bay. And I was doing loops on the ice just to see if she liked it. Right. And she did. Right. Well, if she likes it, she's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. that's how you know she's, <laughs> she's a keeper. She's a keeper. <laughs> so you're growing up, thankfully your dad's a car guy and you're seeing all these cool cars. When when did you start appreciating the design of cars? I Going way back, I mean, I can remember as a kid in grade school, I'd, you know, I'd get caught drawing cars on, you know, on my history notebook, so... Yeah, I just it just it's maybe it's hereditary or something, but it was right from the start. So. And and that transitioned into a uh, long career, which we're going to hear about here shortly. <laughs> but uh, how did you uh, get that start, going from uh, just doodling in notebooks to mm-hmm. actually going to school to learn how to do it the yeah. right way? Well, you know, and my my father had a really good friend who was kind of a hero of mine. He was an architect and um, former stunt pilot, and also had an Austin Healey. So. Uh, and he had built their own home. Just he had the other British car. He had, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. There were probably three, you know. But uh, and he had a beautiful home he had designed, and it, I just loved going over there and and you know, kind of playing with his kids and looking at his architectural books and sitting in his Eames chair and going out to the garage and seeing the Healy. And so that's what I thought I wanted to be was an architect at that time, and that was before I heard about the General Motors design competition. So. So, um, and you actually uh, participated in the uh, Fisher Body Craftsman's Guild. What, maybe explain to sure. everybody what that actually yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, uh, going back all the way back actually into the 30s, General Motors, uh, t- in seeking fine craftsmen for the Fisher Body Division that made the General Motors bodies for their cars, they were looking for craftsmen to be pattern makers and modelers and things. And so they called it the Fisher Body Craftsman's Guild. Uh, and then after uh, the war, it actually transitioned into being a design competition. So um, I think Chuck Jordan, for example, is one of the early winners in, in the late 40s with an amazing model that he had designed. He'd later be you know, vice president of design for General Motors. But So um, my first awareness was maybe in 63 or 4, um, General Motors came to Traverse City and, and gave the challenge in a little auditorium thing about General Motors design and about careers in design and engineering, presented the challenge for the design competition. And I entered it, and and the first time in, age 15, I believe, you know, won an honorable mention in Michigan, so I was encouraged. So the following year, I entered again and uh, made a model, coached by a lot of the information they sent out, and ended up winning first place in Michigan, going to the Nationals in Detroit for five days and meeting designers and yeah, meeting Bill Mitchell and Chuck Jordan, so, sitting in concept cars, that did it. You, know? you were it, definitely hooked that, that did point. it. <laughs> was that kind of when you went, I could do this for a living, or I need to study this professionally? 
Well, you, of course, yeah. I mean, that's when I knew this. Uh, there are designers. Having gone to Detroit, met designers, and that's when I first heard about Art Center College of Design. Actually, I met several of the designers. We were out on the uh, in front of the uh, reflecting garden between GM Design and, and Engineering. They had all these concept cars lined up, and we're sitting in them and meeting designers, and it was fantastic, you know. And and a number of the designers said, uh, "You need to, to go to Art Center College of Design." So, so how different? When you came out to Art Center in California, and for anyone who doesn't know, it's in Pasadena? Pasadena? Mm-hmm. Sounds like I don't know <laughs> also. Uh, how different was Pasadena uh, in this time compared to Detroit? Well, actually, uh, Art Center moved to Pasadena in the 70s. And uh, in the 60s, when I went to Art Center, it was on 3rd Street in Los Angeles, okay. uh, Hancock Park area. Really lovely uh, residential. The building is still there. It's still beautiful today. It's a private school. And uh, so that's where Art Center was then, and at that time they were planning the Pasadena campus. And so, the, the campus in Pasadena is—it's uh, a pretty incredible campus, you know. I mean, you're you're in the hills, you're amongst the trees and nature and all the stuff. You're you're in the city, but you're kind of removed from the city at the same time. And it's a it's a wonderful place to to study any kind of art. Um, because you you yeah. have that exposure, yet you're far enough away from everything that you can kind of practice at, at will. Yeah, I mean it's up on the the western hillside overlooking the Rose Bowl, and you drive up through a residential neighborhood, and it it really is a spectacular campus. We're really proud of it. We also have a south campus, but uh, maybe talk about that later. But uh, we're growing a lot of programs, both graduate and undergraduate programs. So it's a so what year uh, did you come out here? To- so. Go go to Art Center. Yeah, so I actually I started Art Center. Uh, gosh, as an eighteen year old, I mean, I came right straight from high school and and started um, summer of sixty six. So, so was this Chris your, is looking at me? I'm dating myself. Well, was this your first time being in L A. as yep, an It was. Yeah, it was. What it was, was that like? Yeah. The, the, uh, the it, culture shock. Oh my gosh, kid from Northern Michigan. It was kind of like golly. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it was great. I mean, and, and just just the sense of what was going on, you know, uh, nearby aircraft companies and and car manufacturing going on, movie making, um, a really exciting place um, to get a design education. Really, yeah, yeah, and 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 still is. Yeah. So so you go through Art Center and you uh, you you actually uh, won uh, the Fisher Body Craftsman Guild uh, again, right? Yep. And when I started Art Center, I was still eligible for one more. So just in the first few months, you know, I already I learned some of the skills from, you know, a guy named Joe Fair that, you know, Chris, who was uh, the he head of all taught the, me when I was exactly. there, too. So. And so I learned the process. He had been a, a modeler fabricator from Detroit. So I learned the skills very quickly of industrial clay modeling, making molds, you know, making fiberglass parts, you know, finishing a perfect surface. So I built... Um, a more credible model than the one I had built out of wood in Michigan and, and entered it one more time. Um, my residence was Michigan, so I entered it from Michigan and, and won a national um, scholarship and, and more scholarship money, which kept me in Art Center. So it was great. Sure, yeah. sure. So you get through Art Center, and uh, you actually got a really interesting project right out of Art Center. Tell us a little yeah. more about that. Yeah, well, I, I graduated um, uh, spring of 69, and... You know, having gone into Art Center with certain trepidation about, you know, the, the level, I uh, was fortunate. I graduated with honors in 69, and I had three offers, General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, all three. And uh, Dave Holes is the guy that came out from GM, so I got an offer from Dave. It was fantastic. And 
I guess know. Dehatsu decided to pass. They <laughs> well, just it, thing said, is, no, thank you. It, in, in that era, there were no uh, California Advanced Studios like we have today. Today, there are something like 22 studios. You, yeah. you recently did an oh, exhibit yeah. here at the yeah. Peterson about that. and, and uh, But at that time, there weren't. It was the only place to go was Detroit or maybe one of the European studios. But Struther McMinn had introduced me to Bruce Myers down in Orange County, who is considered, you know, sort of the grandfather of the whole fiberglass dune buggy thing. Oh. And and Bruce Myers had just, uh, you know, set the record with Old Red, the uh, dune buggy, you know, doing the uh, Baja 1000 Which inaugural. Which was the first Myers-Manx. Yeah, the yeah. very first Myers-Manx. And he had set a record from Tijuana to La Paz that, that smashed the motorcycle record by nine or ten hours or something like that. Incredible. Which is amazing, yeah. And that really, uh, Bruce and some of his friends then started a National Off-Road Racing Association, NORA, and began sanctioning the Baja 1000 off-road race. So what made you want to go work for Bruce Myers? Because it seems like, although as cool as that is, it's not the big three. It's right. not a, a you know, manufacturer. Well, it's interesting. Nancy and I you know, were married through Art Center, and two weeks after I got my degree, uh, Christine was born. So, so, you know, I was tired. I'd lost 20 pounds going through Art Center. Right. <laughs> so, so we thought, you know, so my, my thought was, you know, maybe, uh, if I could stay out in California for six or eight months and do a project before I go back to Detroit, that was initially the thought. And Nancy liked the idea. So, um, McMinn had introduced me to Bruce Myers. So we called him and he goes, yes, I have a project. Uh, I'd like to do a new kind of street oriented dune buggy that's, sort of halfway between a Myers-Manx dune buggy and a sports car. And so I immediately launched into that project, and, and we unveiled it ten, 10 months later, I believe. It was wow. an amazing effort at the SEMA show, uh-huh. which at that time was all in the Anaheim Convention Center. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a small local convention. <laughs> exactly. It's grown into... It's uh, slightly bigger now. <laughs> now it's bigger than some small towns. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So, no, it, it was great, and and uh, I designed other products for Bruce. I had a great time with Bruce, and it actually ended up being more than three years that I was with Bruce Myers, and then I eventually went back to Detroit. But I mean, so so from from there, I mean, you you developed a car that uh, has a few innovative features. We were just talking about that uh, before we hopped on the microphone. So, uh, you know, this is uh, this is the early days of uh, of you know fiberglass uh, kind of modern looking. Uh, vehicles, uh, whether they were kit cars, mm-hmm. or dune buggies, that sort of thing, and you had a, a an innovative innovative uh, door design on this car. Yeah, um, this was to be the same wheelbase as a traditional Myers Manx dune buggy, which was a very brief, you know, real abbreviated little car made out of two pieces of fiberglass. You know, the basic tub that formed this cute little fender line and a hood and a windshield. Very very simple over a shortened Volkswagen platform, and the uh, the Manx SR was to be the, the same platform but a more sophisticated car with doors and a full top and so on. So what I did is take the basic gesture of, of the Manx dune buggy, the little fender gesture, and that um, sort of dictated a deeper door cut that had the same gesture. So it, we didn't want a rectangular door cut. We wanted a door cut that kind of dove down and, and came back an amplified version yeah. of the original Myers-Manx. Thing. Sure. And, of course, the only way you could open a door like that, you couldn't do it with conventional hinges. It had to go vertically and so we innovated a, a vertical lift door a scissor door like lamborghini would do later on the countach yeah so yeah. you uh so you invented the scissor door well bruce or, and i think so i mean you know, 
I like to think Lamborghini was in Italy going around in a Myers Manx and got the idea. Exactly. You know, they're doing some off-roading <laughs> through the dunes of Italy. Yeah, we've we've actually had that car on display here. Uh, it's not here right now, but we've yep. had it in a couple of exhibits here at the yeah. Peterson, and it really is a very special car. You know, it's very cool. It's got this little tiny uh, proportion to it, and uh, I, it just looks like a blast to drive. And, and, you, and, and you still own it. Oh yeah, it, it's own it's in great shape. It's yeah, it's a little eighty-inch wheelbase car and weighs fifteen hundred pounds, and it's darty and quick and fun to drive. How well was the reception when it was unveiled at SEMA? Well, it, great actually. We um, uh, then went into production, and we built them as a kit, like the traditional dune buggy kit, uh, more complex, obviously. And, and the kit, I th- Bruce thinks that we sold maybe 250 kits, okay. something like that. You also did something else while you were at Myers Manx that uh, was for a more juvenile market, correct? Oh, yeah. That... This is really a cute story. You know, story. He's, he's setting them up for you. He's just <laughs> lobbed me this underhand. No, it's funny. I was just with Bruce recently at an event, and he's, you know, he's 88 years old, still giggles, loves life, still having fun, still creating things. He's great. Uh, but one day, Bruce, in a moment of kind of um, despair, he goes, you know, we have so many suppliers that, that, that sell gel coat and fiberglass products and fasteners and wiring harnesses and brackets and windshield kits and he listed all these things and he said you know and our biggest problem is managing all the suppliers he said if our key thing here at myers manx in newport beach is just we do beautiful fiberglass kind of like the boat builders of newport beach mm-hmm. he said Stuart, if we could just make a beautiful piece of fiberglass and put it in a box and sell it that would be great <laughs> so i went away and i was thinking about that and uh Came up with a little idea and brought it back to Bruce and said, "Look at this!" And it was basically uh, a little a, a bed for a kid that shaped like a race car, and it was sort of yeah. inspired by the McLaren M8B, you know, orange McLaren fender line with a little blue bed cover mattress in the middle <clears throat> and little kind of ten-inch wheels, thermoformed, and so it was just plastic in a box, you know. And we took that with the Myers Manx to the SEMA show, and it was in there, and and. Uh, we sold the first one right away off the floor to Parnelli Jones, oh, that's his little cool. boy PJ. I think that's pretty cute too, yeah. PJ. <laughs> but that was PJ's bed, and uh, so we made a few of those. Uh, well, I I don't know. I doubt I had that model, but having a race car bed, uh, as I'm sure every kid did. I thank you, <clears throat> but also having a race car bed, I'm mad at you because. You don't know how many times I hit my head on the spoiler <laughs> getting in and out. I, You want to talk earliest car memory, it's hitting my head on a spoiler of a race car bed almost on a nightly basis. Yeah, well, it's obvious you should have been wearing a helmet to bed. I mean. Well, I, I think that's why I didn't, exactly. end up, I didn't end up going to design school because I just hit anything that was in there out. And then I left it on the uh, uh, I left it on the spoiler, but no, uh, I didn't know that. That that is so neat. Uh, he came up with a race car bed, the race car bed. <laughs> I Myers Manx is just it's such an iconic Southern California look, and mm. you know what they are. But with the des- as a, from a designer standpoint, when you look at some of the paint schemes that were on these cars, how do you feel from you going look at my design and now? How much glitter can you put into that paint? And at the gold? time, did you, as yeah, a designer, did cool? you feel it was cool, or did you just kind of go, oh, "Gosh, I can't"? Or was it dated when you saw? No, it. I actually, you know, for the traditional dune buggy, which were expressive, and some of them had flowered tops, and you know, they looked very resort looking. 
that made sense. And particularly the, the traditional Manx with just a small fender line almost has the character of a lot of motorcycles, a lot of machine, a little bit of body work. And so you can, you can stand metal flake in some of those things very nicely on a traditional Myers Manx. The, the SR was to be a little bit more sophisticated, a little more sports car-like. And so, you know, all the, all the trim was black, you know, the windshield frame, black anodized, the top black. And the all the interior tub that we molded, and all of them were black. And for the uh, color chart, I just Bruce had me with the gel coat supplier one day, and we just picked what was I think the 1970 Porsche uh, color chart. Which you remember, they were very crayon colors: mm-hmm. bright green, bright yellow, yeah, yeah. Know, orange, orange, red, blue, silver. Yeah. yeah, and so that's what we did for gel coat colors on the SR. Do <laughs> very cool because he never copyright or patented the the body and so i guess now you can still get can you still get an sr i mean can you are they out there somewhere not the sr the sr uh the 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 tooling is somewhere uh there were several sets of molds and actually after myers manx went out of business in i believe it was like 71 uh, and i went back to detroit um some people bought the molds and put it back into production briefly in southern california and the molds went to um oklahoma and an Oklahoma team made a few of them for three or four years. How much was the car new then, or the kit? It was about two and a half times the price, or three times the price of a traditional Manx, because it was more complex. It had, you know, doors, inners and outers, and a roof, and side curtains, and a top. So I think the kit price in 70, 70 71 was maybe fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars for a kit. And then, so a person would buy a donor air-cooled Volkswagen Beetle throw away the body and use all the So under three right. grand you still got a pretty cool pretty yeah. cool car. Yeah. A it's, modern looking car. Yeah, modern yeah. it's yeah. cheaper than I guess right on par and cheaper than the regular regular car at the time. Yep. Yeah. So so you uh you left Meyer Myers Banks and you went on to Detroit and what what'd you do in Detroit? Well when I uh, we went back to Detroit, um I worked briefly, uh I knew Dick Teague and, and went over to see him at American Motors and they had a new they had acquired Jeep and they had a new studio and I showed him what I'd been doing with Bruce Myers and he goes, This is perfect. So I worked briefly um for for American Motors new Jeep division and then was uh recruited by Chrysler Advanced Design. It was John Hurlitz, uh great guy. And uh and I joined Chrysler Advanced Design. And, and what were you working on then? Just it was the uh, in the advanced studio. It was doing you know we would call kind of pre-production vehicle architecture, maybe identifying uh, a new kind of a product and giving it uh, three-dimensional form and build full-scale models and so that the board of directors and the leadership can evaluate that category of vehicle. So more overall shapes and than an actual car. Yeah, in the in the um, mid seventies, we were working on what would become you know minivans for example in that era flat floor passenger oriented not commercial truck based but and what did you think about what year was this you were working on this uh that would have been sort of 73 four five right so you're right in as the van era is becoming or is becoming full bloom you're uh, yeah. working on a smaller version smaller one because did you think you were like really on to something oh we all we all felt it was it was an important kind of a you know a one box as we would call it monovolume thing that was not commercial truck based but passenger right. based, and with the new front wheel drive architecture we had some of those platforms to to build on and so what became the Dodge Caravan really sprang right. from what we did in the advanced studio yeah 
Yeah. What was it like at that time? You know, you're working. It's it's an interesting era if you look at design because you're you know in the 70s design all of a sudden instead of the designer themselves having the creative freedom, you had you know the insurance companies don't want you to go fast and they they want big puffy bumpers on everywhere. You know you have rollover standards, you have emission standards, you have all this kind of stuff, and then let's throw a bunch of vinyl and stickers and stuff on the yeah. cars to try to make up for it. What, what was it like no, being in the studio? No, you've, you've said it well, Chris. I mean, that, I think for a lot of us as designers, those were sort of dark days of, of certainly the American auto industry. I mean, those that's when the uh, regulatory environment was really kicking in, and, you know, it was less about good policy and more about regulation. You know? yeah. How much do you hate, and I guess this still goes on today, the amber turn indicators on cars? Well, I, I guess I don't hate them now. I mean, I think I think things that uh, night lighting and things that help to identify vehicle, you know, and, and okay, that's politically correct uh, answer. But from a design perspective, when you just yeah. look at this, as I was looking at a the second Pagani Wyra <laughs> made at over at um, the auto gallery, yeah. and we're it's a you know one point three million dollar everything design, everything hand tooled, the most beautiful piece of art. It's got one on there. They're making a hundred cards. It's got uh, one on yeah, there, yeah. and it's just slapped on. But I mean, fortunately now, you know, we have lighting technology that can, you know, can put out the kind of requirements for light with discrete little LEDs and things. So yeah, I, mean, we, I think technology we can be more co- creative. Now. We can. I mean, if you think about, it, I can remember very clearly. You know, in, in the uh, late seventies, that designers thought these safety bumpers were just—it was just the end of car design. You know, that was, it was just horrible, big, huge bumpers. And who could have predicted that that the material science side would come to the rescue? And now we've got bigger bumpers than we had, but they're hidden behind a polymeric skin. Yeah. And now the cars have a beautiful absorbed into the body. Yeah. And so technology came to the rescue. Mm -hmm. You just you look and you look at some of the and you look at like a three hundred eight Ferrari where it's just this great design and then big square giant. That's. That is my that well, is my I, personal. I think even worse than that was the uh, Countach that had a, a a big square bench on the front of it with these puffy things on top of that to get the bumper yeah. high yeah. enough, higher than the body surface. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that I was feel horrible. like the yeah. stuff that came from Europe, uh, like the Porsches and stuff, was sort of them going, "Look, if they want safety bumpers, we're going to give them." You know, it yeah. was <laughs> we'll, we'll make it pretty for our market yeah. and then just slap some. <laughs> we'll on give you guys five mile an yeah. hour bumpers. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's almost them taunting. Yeah, we'll us. dumb these cars down for your market. Here uh, you go. <laughs> so, but you uh, you ended up you you worked at Chrysler. You did did a, a few things in Detroit. Yep. Um, and then ultimately ended up coming back out to sunny California. Yes, uh, 1980 came back out to join uh, Calty Design, the Toyota Advanced Design Studio. That interestingly. Um, some of my very first Japanese friends when I was going to Art Center uh, were part of kind of bringing that whole thing into fruition, the first California Advanced Studio, which was the Toyota Studio. And it was uh, begun in El Segundo, Toyota's Calty Design Studio, because that's where the infrastructure of race car shops and fabricators were, Shelby America, and all those things were in El Segundo. Ah. So Calty started there, and they were a little concerned that it not say Toyota Design on the front door. They wanted to be more discreet. Because there was trade sentiment against imported cars that existed, so even here in California, yeah, not so much, but even even here a little bit. So I think they were just being sensitive about that. So they didn't put Toyota Design; they put Calty, which was 
C-A-L for California, T for Toyota, and Y was uh, Yashioda Sangyo, the trading company that did the the uh, arrangements and shipping and visas and things like that. So Calty Design started in El Segundo and then um, pretty quickly moved to um, Irvine land, you know, just above UC Irvine, which it is where it still is. And, and I joined the studio as chief designer in 1980. So you had some pretty cool, or at least, I mean, you were starting to, because Toyota with the MR2 and the, you know, eventually the Supra and the Celicas at the time, you guys were having, making some pretty neat sports cars. Yeah, that's when it was a really awakening. And I think the successes, particularly the successes that came from Calty, um, really alerted all the other manufacturers that, wow, I mean, we need a Southern California design studio. And so yeah. that's why, fast forward to the present, we have more than 20. You know, 22, I believe, is if you include the new ones like Tesla and so on. I mean, sure. It's, sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's definitely a different situation you know california especially the la area is kind of almost like its own country you know everything here is different than it is in the rest of the the united states you know the the people are different it's a a, a much more of a mix of cultures yeah, it's not always different for the good yeah good but or it bad it's different. definitely different you get i think you get exposed to more diversity of everything not only culturally but weather you know you've got you've got all this great Warm weather, but you can go into the mountains if you want snow. Yep. You know, you can you can ski and surf on the same day as long as the freeway shut down and you have a way to get there. Yeah, growing up <laughs> in Southern California my whole life, I don't understand what salt on a road does or, you know, why you need to have a an ice pick for your car. So Yeah, you you definitely have a uh, a creative environment out here and I think that's why the you know, the car companies are are uh, such a big part of uh the, the location out here. You I know, also think Hollywood they just don't too. want to live in Detroit. They they do the hey we got to be you know flex our creative minds and who who was the design team that was it Ford when they said uh you know what I, I don't know what car they were building but it was like okay what do you what what do you need to be inspired to build this car and they went well you know if you got an Aston Martin in here and a Ferrari to to you know maybe a Testarossa you brought that in and we looked at that for a while. Will be inspired. So I think there was some of, you know, hey, I need to be near the beach, and you know we're at seventy two all the time, but uh, but it do, it does make for great you know great design. No, I mean to be in Southern California environment. I mean we think that about Art Center, not only design education, but for the studios to be in what is really a very global market and a place where there there are a lot of other creative fields that uh, exist. It it makes it a great place to view shift and change and trends and lifestyle and all those things it's and and you see great cars all the time and there's a car yeah. culture here you know so it's and if you you've uh, you know as a car designer you've you've done a lot for different companies you've also uh have your own firm uh Stuart redesign and and you're you've designed a few things outside of the automotive world uh, other than you know kids beds but <laughs> what, what other things have you done and and how does that discipline of car design uh, tie into those other types of yeah design. yeah well I, I've I've always loved all kinds of design as I mentioned I you know as a young man thought architecture would be great and I still love architecture and uh, but I I've, you know I have some patents in medical equipment I've done some design for Herman Miller for advanced seating you know uh, so I love all facets of design um, but the main passion is is vehicular not necessarily cars but certainly vehicles I've done some marine things. Um, but, you know, one of the more recent projects um, 
that uh, you know I think some of you know about is uh, it's been a real pleasure to work with Peter Mullen from the Mullen Automotive Museum uh, to imagine the body for the 1939 Bugatti Type 64, and it's a car that never received a body design. No coachwork was ever made for this chassis because of the tragic loss of Jean Bugatti at age 30. And uh, so Peter has wanted to, in a very scholarly way, go back and imagine what might have been done had Jean Bugatti survived to do this car and the war hadn't ensued. Right, and right. Uh, so that's what we've done. And, you know, Peter has some great research on a few little hints. Uh, Bugatti had some patent drawings, for example, for doors that hinged upward uh, like Mercedes would later do with the Gullwing. Bugatti called it butterfly or papillon doors. Hmm. And so um, I, I first had a group of my students at Art Center imagine what that might be, and we presented ideas to Peter and his friends. And then uh, kind of assembled the things. Of the, most of the student projects were little too futuristic as you can imagine sure. you know sure well you know when <clears throat> yeah. you're when you're a young student <laughs> aspiring to be a uh, car designer you're yeah. thinking okay my portfolio i need yeah. to my go as far forward <clears throat> as yeah. i can right? dream big yeah not that big right yeah. and, and for this one we wanted to really do the very best job we could of imagining what would jean bugatti potentially have done so that's that's what i've yeah if you done. could build it the way they build it back then yeah and so that would have come out that car is actually at the mullen automotive museum now and it's on display and it's it's so neat how it's set up because the body is unpainted and above the powertrain and the chassis. So you, you get to see you know the engineering and you also get to see the design kind of all at once. Yeah, I mean this 130-inch wheelbase chassis that's all aluminum. It was an early study in an aluminum space frame, frankly, with cross-car castings and, and just amazing. It's so beautiful. It's such great engineering art that... Peter knew it could never be permanently wrapped in a body. It needs to be yeah. visible. And so the idea that we came up with was to have it forever be a work in progress, like an unfinished symphony, so that um, the body will never be painted, no interior trim. You can In the body, I designed it as a monocoque, so you can lift it off as a self-supporting structure above the chassis. And uh, the entire body is made aircraft spec because Bugatti was making an aircraft in 39, so that's reasonable to assume. The entire body with its eight acrylic windows, hinged doors, and two hinged hoods, and all the louvers weighs 300, under 350 pounds. Wow. And, and that chassis, how did, how did that survive all these years? Did it at some point have a body on it? or Never did. Uh, there, there were three chassis built. Uh, one of them, after, after the loss of Jean Bugatti, was... Finished by the factory. Uh, I'm not sure who designed the body. It's it's not notably beautiful. It's an interesting car, and that car is painted black today. It's in the Schlumpf Museum, mm -hmm. and it's a more conventional looking car. Interesting car. And the other two chassis um, were bought by Americans. And so the the one that was showcased at uh, Pebble Beach, maybe ten or twelve years ago, uh, and and Peter ended up buying, uh, is just magnificent you know polished and beautiful and it's functional and and for the listeners if you've never seen a vintage bugatti um it's it, it's a whole nother level above the finest car you've ever seen and and they're just as beautiful under the hood and on the chassis as they are with the the finished yeah, body all the machine turned yeah. parts i mean everything is just beautiful and i i've i have a newfound love of french cars but i would love to take an old Art Deco era or just a pre-war Bugatti and 
take you know to show France and then just an eighties Renault. Or Peugeot. I, and I want to what put happened, them next right? to each other. Go where? Where did this go wrong? What? What happened so bad in World War II that this all just went? You know, went away. Went away. Because uh, yeah, I mean, the French just in the 30s dominated the automotive world as far yeah. as design went. Well, that's why I think you know all of us in the design community just, I mean, truly celebrate Peter's uh, view of of automotive art. He sees you know automotive design as high art, and we yeah. as designers, that's how we feel. So, w- what do you have going on at the art center coming up? Because you were telling us about the the car classic on. October 26th. Yes. Uh, every fall we do um, a really great show. That's It's not a concours event. It's really a design show. Um, and it's called Art Center Car Classic. Each year we, we have a, a lot of fun with the theme. We've done, for example, in the past themes of coach building. Uh, there were actually some great coach builders that were in Pasadena that, mm-hmm. that we celebrated. Leno brought his Pasadena built Bugatti that was done at... Uh, yeah, Walter yeah. Murphy. You know, yep. The only yeah. Uh, so we've Murphy we've had those Bugatti. themes. Um, this year, the theme is um, kind of celebrating the connection between cars and Hollywood, or or movies and cars. So we're going to have some great cars that were owned by celebrities and stars. We're going to have some cars that themselves were the star of the movie. Sure. And so it's the the, be the name of it is from street to screen. And, the Peterson uh, might have a few cars. Just yeah, could, it probably. seems like there are some we, we could assist with. <laughs> as we're as we're sitting uh, next to the Batmobile, yeah. you see this yeah. video, somebody said, "Oh, you're going to have this person in studio with you." And yeah. I said, "By in studio, you mean next to a Batmobile?" Yes, yeah. yes, we're going to. We do have a couple Hollywood cars. Well, it's really neat too because you know at Art Center, you know, we have a, a whole range of professional programs in art and design. I mean, we have. You know, fine art, illustration, graphic design, film, photography, advertising design. And uh, so uh, this particular theme for us, we'll, we'll be able to kind of pull together the transportation design department, our entertainment design department, and our film department. Sure. And talk about you know, the synergies and, and kind of the cross and, and And, you know, speaking of those students... Um, you know, uh, we're, we're uh, as, as Art Center alum, we're used to a very specific schedule at Art Center, um, and you get to the uh, the last week, and you're pretty much spent. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to get anywhere near you because you smell pretty bad, and uh, <laughs> and you just want to get your project done and get it nice, you know, make it nice and make a presentation, you know. Um, so, uh, at what point um, do the students uh, help with this show? I mean, do they are they involved with this show, or are they they uh, just you know want to still uh, stay awake long enough to go out and yeah. view the cars? We we usually have a core of students that really want to volunteer and help and be part of it, but it tends to be students that aren't really in the very upper terms, that aren't gotcha. really in the last you know approach to their final sure project. Sure, and um, just before we kind of uh, finish up here. Just a, a little bit about uh, the program at Art Center. If you're going there for car design, what is that? That just kind of a quick overview of the process and what a student would go through. Right. Well, there's a lot of rigor in, the, in certainly in the transportation design program, but it, transportation design is in the whole side of the college we call industrial design, and we have four programs where, where the other programs are bachelor of fine art programs. The four industrial design programs are bachelor of science degrees. And so that's entertainment design, product design, uh, environmental design, and transportation design. 
and in transportation design, um, you know, it's a it's a four year degree program that uh, almost no student manages to do it in a tidy way inside of four years. Most students take a term off. They do an internship. A lot of our recent grads have done two or three internships, one in Europe, one in Asia, one in one of the local studios. So they tend to stretch it out. And, uh, of course, because we have uh, all these Southern California studios, most of my faculty are adjunct faculty that are professionals with the local studios. So by the time the student graduates, he's got a great network of of uh, ten or fifteen professionals from local studios that he's kn- that he knows quite well. Yeah, that that's really valuable. I I went to a uh, different school, which I won't mention. Before I went to Art Center, um, Devry. No. I went to Devry. <laughs> exactly, um, and and uh, you know I had a completely different experience because those the folks that were at that school were teachers that mm. kind of did design on the side and art center is a school of designers that come in once a week to teach or a couple times a week to teach and and it's so much better because you, you, you really get to draw from their experience well when when ed adams founded art center in 1930 in los angeles you know that's when it was all exploding i mean manufacturing product design here you know movie making all of it was here coach built cars were being done and he wanted a school that would be a thoroughly professional school of art and design that would be populated by professionals who teach. Like right. as, yep. as you're saying, yep. Chris, as opposed to professional teachers. Right. And that model absolutely still works today. I mean, we, we in any of the fields, film, photography, it's all working professionally. Yeah, you get almost. to as a student there, you get to understand what it's really like. I right. mean, you can't you can't a hundred percent replicate real life in a school but you guys try uh, you know every and every term you get a little closer to it but i mean you guys really try to do that but then by having those professionals come in and teach they they can enlighten the students on what's really happening outside of that absolutely i mean i I remember because during my years as chief designer at toyota calty studio i would uh, drive up to pasadena one afternoon a week and teach a transportation design class and that's the experience of most of my faculty now Wow. Wow. That's great. So, so you can come by, take a look at the school. Um, take a look at, uh, well, when the show's going on, that's a perfect, people get to see a lot of great artwork. Yeah. That's a too. perfect open house time, really. Yeah. October 26th. And the, the cars that are in the show, it's not the biggest show in the world. It's, it's actually a very small curated show. Way to sell but it. But you'll spend the entire day there because there are so many amazing cars. Every one of the cars is special. You know, it's yeah. not like these big shows you go to and you, you walk down an aisle and you look at one car fastback yeah i mean just every car here has got a very special story and a very unique look and you have all kinds of different programs going on throughout the day so there's you you will spend the entire day on campus at art center and have a good time doing it yeah thanks yeah for anyone who wants to check it out go to artcenter.edu and it's the art center car classics the last sunday of october october 26th and it's the art no it is art center College of Design and uh, Stuart Reed Transportation Design Department Chair. You must have a gigantic business card because you've got so <laughs> many words you got to fit in there. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, and uh, we, we definitely were going to check out that show. No, I enjoyed being with you guys. Thanks, thanks, Stuart. It's been great having you.